Thank you, Dolores. Well, Pastor Eric's gone, so I get to run the house today. <laughs> so, hopefully I just return it back in one piece, you know, everything would be good, but no, it's my privilege to be able to preach to you this morning. Uh, I like preaching on occasion, so, you know, the every week deal doesn't appeal to me very much, but doing it, you know, every few months or whatever, I'm good for that, so... Uh, I'm excited that you're here today. Uh, as the Lord just read, we're looking at the uh, Good Shepherd passage. I think most of us are familiar with this, at least on some level. Uh, but we're going to look into uh, sort of the details behind all that stuff, uh, try to get as much meaning out of it as possible. But first, I have a question. Who here loves to start watching a movie like 15, 20 minutes right before the end of it? Okay. No one? That's because you're not crazy, right? Nobody wants to watch a movie to like just watch the ending uh, and they see all the, you know, the climactic scenes and they have no idea what was building up to that though, right? Like if you just jump right in, you're like, well, I don't really, I don't really see the powerful imagery going on or, you know, you're not really emotionally invested in any of the characters or anything like that. Uh, if you do, by the way, like to watch movies like that, you're weird and you should probably repent because that's just, it's unnatural, right? Uh, <clears throat> but every story, I mean, we, we want to start at the beginning and follow it through so that we can see the end with the whole context of the story, right? I mean, you don't want to just start watching Lord of the Rings at the very end, you know, spoiler alert, but you've had like over a decade to watch it where Frodo throws the ring into the, you know, under the fires. Nobody just wants to start watching the movie right there because that's, yeah, all right. So he threw a ring in the fire. Great. Uh, there's nothing exciting about that. So if that's true, my question is, why do we so often treat Scripture this way? I feel like a lot of us, we're sort of afraid of uh, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. We're kind of afraid of it. It's a little bit different. It's a little weird. Uh, and, and so we, we like to stay with, uh, maybe, maybe we like to just stay with what Jesus is saying. Uh, we just like to read, you know, the red letters. I've heard people say, oh, I just like to read the red letters in the Bible. Uh, because it's a little bit easier to understand. It's a little more practical or whatever. Um, but the reality is, is that you don't really fully understand the red letters in the Bible if you don't know the whole context of the Bible. Uh, and so uh, what I want to share with you today is that when Jesus says he is the good shepherd, he is, uh, that is a loaded statement. It is a very loaded statement, and uh, I want to look at that. But first, I also want to say that Christians believe weird things. Okay, I mean, we do. We believe uh, in a guy, a God who came down, became human, uh, lived as a human, died uh, for, for our sake, uh, and, and rose from the dead. I mean, these are, these are odd beliefs. But one of the weird things that we, that we believe as Christians, or at least that I believe, is that the uh, Bible is supernaturally unified. It's supernaturally unified, meaning as the authors are writing, God is doing something even greater in that he is tying together all these themes and elements together that I'm not even sure that the authors of the Bible knew what was happening. I mean, they knew what God was telling them to, to say or uh, what God had placed uh, on their heart to write, but I don't know that they, they fully grasped that. Um, but God clearly has a story from beginning to end, and he's trying to get us to see the whole picture 
uh, because it draws us closer to him. So when we read from John 10, uh, I think we owe it to ourselves to see what Jesus might be referring to. Uh, But first off, we need to get a little bit of context in this statement. Uh, Jesus, uh, in chapter 9 of John, he just confronted the Pharisees. Pharisees are just the religious leaders, the priests, the pastors of uh, back then. And, uh, you know, basically, they're not happy that Jesus is healing a blind man uh, on the Sabbath. And uh, so Jesus heals this guy. The Pharisees are basically, they're at a boiling point with Jesus. Okay, they're really getting sick of this guy going around doing stuff that they don't like uh, because they have a, a set order of things. And you don't break that set order of things. But Jesus is coming in. He doesn't care. Uh, and really, he's not playing nicely with them either because he keeps calling them out. Every time they try to confront him, he turns it back on them. Uh, you know, and, and he's saying, you know, you guys are making religion bigger than God. And they don't like that because that's pretty much how they got the power that they currently hold. Uh, you see, religion for the Pharisees has become sort of a special club, a uh, country club, if you will. Uh, and only the dedicated and devout can join. Okay, you have to look a certain way. You have to act a certain way. Uh, and so Jesus basically comes in with the keys to the country club and is like, hey, anybody can come, you know, blind, I don't care. Uh, you can be, uh, you know, irreligious. You can, uh, you can be, you know, pretty much come from all walks of life. And so when Jesus heals this blind man on the Sabbath, okay, which is something that you weren't supposed to do, uh, which is kind of an odd rule, but they viewed that as work, right? And the Sabbath is supposed to be reserved uh, for rest. And so they say, you can't do that. And Jesus says, I just did. Uh, and so they, they demand that this blind man leave the temple. And so Jesus calls them out uh, in the typical way that he does. Uh, <laughs> a thorough beat down using his mastery of scripture. Okay, by calling himself the good shepherd, he is effectively contrasting himself with the Pharisees, uh, who could essentially be called bad shepherds. Okay? They have a task that they were uh, given, and they have not done a good job with it. And so Jesus calls himself the good shepherd so that people see the difference between him and the Pharisees. But these are not the first bad shepherds, not by a long shot. Uh, so we'll get back to that in a minute. But first, what is a shepherd? Like, what is a shepherd's job, right? Obviously, uh, you picture a little guy with his staff, and he's herding sheep around and stuff like that. Uh, but Scripture tries to give us a little bigger uh, picture of that. Uh, and so if we go all the way back to Genesis, okay, we have uh, Abel. And uh, that's in yeah, Genesis, first book of the Bible. And God is trying to show us, I think, early on, Okay, there's a special relationship between God and shepherdship. Okay, by the way, I'm going to be saying shepherd, shepherdship a lot. I was thinking of uh, synonyms. I got nothing. So you just got to gotta hear that word a lot today. But God starts off with Abel. Okay, he's the first shepherd that we see in Scripture. And uh, if you don't know the story, Cain and Abel, right? Abel goes and he offers the first fruits of his offering. Uh, he gives God the best that he has, right? And he offers that to God and says, this is yours. Uh, now, he gets murdered for it uh, by his brother. Jesus would see a similar fate, by the way, being betrayed by Judas. Uh, and as the envy and despisement was too great for the Pharisees to resist hanging him on the tree. So Abel and Jesus sort of have a similar thing. Okay? They're both shepherds. Uh, they both uh, face a similar fate for being faithful to God. 
But you can go further. Jacob calls the Lord his shepherd, saying that God has fed him. So you see that God is sort of acting as a caretaker. Uh, One of the chief characteristics of a shepherd is that he feeds his sheep. God feeds his people with the rich food of his word. He feeds us also with his own flesh and blood in the person of his son. We live off the word incarnate, Jesus Christ. Now the interesting thing is that it's not just the Lord who is called shepherd. It seems as though the patriarchs, the chosen vessels of God, were also tasked with being shepherds to their people. Consider Moses in the book of Numbers. Uh, you can look at this, uh, chapter 27, 15 through 17. When he asked the Lord to replace him with a shepherd that would lead and care for the people. So Moses saw himself as a shepherd. He knew his ministry was coming to an end. And so he prays to God, asking that a new shepherd would be raised up uh, to guide the people that, as he has. He seeks guidance for the people, one that will guide them in the law of the Lord, which Moses knows leads to life. And then obviously you can get to King David, right? I mean, he was just a shepherd boy out in the pastures, uh, suddenly facing a giant and uh, defeating him. But David really serves as a type of Christ. And so uh, when I use that word type, what I mean is uh, the Bible often uses things to foreshadow something greater to come. Okay, so when David is talked about, he shares a lot of similar characteristics with Jesus. And I think God is using that point us to Christ, someone who is going to be greater than David, who is going to come one day. Uh, and we see that in prophecy, and we'll touch on that a little bit, but, uh, but often Jesus, uh, his, his coming is, is talked about as the coming of David, right, even though David has already passed away when they write these things. But David was a literal physical shepherd, and it was his occupation before ultimately becoming king, uh, which is another way in which he uh, uh, is, is the same as Jesus. And he also authored Psalm 23, the famous passage describing the Lord in detail as a shepherd. Now I'll just read that because it's only six verses and who doesn't love hearing Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so David, obviously, is a strong uh, comparison with Jesus as shepherd Um, and and he even viewed God in that way when he wrote that psalm that's how he sees God you get to Ezekiel which uh, Ezekiel is an interesting prophet Uh, I I know that there are uh, non-religious scholars uh, who study that who strongly suspect that Ezekiel may have been on uh, certain substances when writing uh, just because his visions are just crazy Um, but in chapter 37 Ezekiel prophesies the Lord coming he says David my servant now remember David is long gone at this point but he says David my servant shall be king over them and they shall all have one shepherd they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob my servant where your fathers dwell 
and they shall dwell there, they, their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them, and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The nations also will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. So notice, the shepherd to come is going to be unlike previous shepherds in that it says that this shepherd will actually observe the Lord's laws and statutes uh, and actually do them. God also promises to establish this sort of relationship for eternity. When this shepherd does come, it's going to be final. There's going to be no more waiting around. Uh, Ezekiel again denounced the leaders of the people for their sin and taking advantage of their position and power to satisfy their greed rather than for the good of the people. Okay, so there's these other religious leaders who are tasked with uh, guiding the people as a shepherd would, uh, guiding the people back to the Lord. But Ezekiel sees what's going on in the world, and he says, they're not doing it. They're doing a really bad job of it. Okay, they, they have, uh, they've made a mockery of it, really. Instead of feeding the sheep, they had fed on the sheep, he says. Ezekiel also rehearsed the theme of responsibility he had emphasized uh, back in chapter 18, this time telling the leaders that God will hold them accountable for what had happened to the flock and that he will remove them from office. Instead, God himself will be shepherd, searching out for uh, the people in all the places to which they have been scattered. And as the good shepherd, he will bring them back home and feed and care for them with justice, uh, probably alluding to the restoration after the exile. So at that point, the Jews were all kicked out of Israel Um, waiting to get back into their home. Uh, But God is saying, at some point, I'm going to come and I'm going to do this job that humans have done such a bad job at. The good shepherd will also correct the social and economic inequalities that resulted when people of wealth and power took advantage of the poor Israelites. This theme, so common among the prophets, became uh, Jesus' own emphasis Uh, and he even took Isaiah 61, 1 through 2 as the text of his inaugural sermon in Nazareth. Jesus really made that a preaching point, right? Basically, take care of the poor and don't take advantage of them. Seems like a pretty basic thing, and yet it happens all the time. It happened all the time back then. It happens all the time today. Um, and so as the good shepherd, Jesus is protecting these people. He says, don't do that. Don't do that to them. But the main point of that chapter is God's promise to raise up a ruler of the Davidic line through whom God would rule his people. At that time, God would establish a covenant of peace, which includes all that makes for peace. Wholeness, security, welfare, absence of hostility. Peace is a reality when God rules, but only then. And so God had these temporary shepherds in place who... He knew we were going to be imperfect. Who knew we weren't going to be able to get the job done. But God was going to come one day and get the job done. And so Jesus finally comes to earth, right? And so in the Gospel of Mark, Mark writes that he had compassion on the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus has the heart of a shepherd, and so he's drawn into his work as a caretaker of the people of earth. Compare this to who Jesus uh, says currently serve as shepherds, 
right? He describes them as hired hands. Okay, these are people that they don't care, right? Uh, if any of you own a business, uh, you probably have already dealt with the reality that your employees probably don't care about the business quite as much as you do, right? It's just, it's a different uh, position that they have. You know, if something were to happen to the business, I mean, they care about their job security, certainly, but beyond that, they, they maybe don't care as much as, as you do. And so Jesus says, these guys are just looking at the, after the sheep for a paycheck, but I, this is, my, this is what I uh, long for, this is where my heart is. Jesus lays his life down for his, uh, for his flock. A hired hand probably lets the wolf tear, the, tear apart the sheep in an effort to save their own skin. Jesus, on the other hand, puts himself between the wolf and the sheep. You look at the Gospel of Matthew, uh, as he speaks of Jesus as a shepherd in a judgmental role, separating the sheep from the goats. He knows his flock and will keep those who don't belong from entering in. And Jesus says that if you're not for him, you're against him. Uh, Pastor Eric has already preached uh, sort of the hard messages pertaining to the truth on that uh, in his series on, uh, uh, in Romans. So uh, if you're still wrestling with that, I encourage you to go back, listen to some of those sermons. Uh, they've just been in the last uh, few weeks here. Um, but we see here that Jesus is once again referred to as a shepherd, uh, and he's, he's using that role to guard the flock, showing us another aspect of that role. And finally, Jesus, he dies, uh, he raises from the dead, and he ascends into heaven. And Peter tells us that we were like sheep going astray, but that now we have returned to the overseer of our souls, our shepherd. Uh, and this is, so this is all throughout scripture, okay? Th- this idea of God as shepherd and also our task as shepherd, which we'll talk about that. But now we get into John 10. Uh, and verses one through 10 here uh, is talking about how God, uh, how Jesus as the good shepherd is guarding the flock. He's not letting anyone in, okay? He's standing at the gate uh, and anyone who doesn't belong, he turns away. And I think that, uh, <clears throat> yeah, Jesus keeps track of all these people who come in and, and, and who don't. Uh, and Pharisees would not be allowed in this. Because what they're doing is they're trying to put uh, a burden on these people that doesn't exist. Okay, because the Pharisees say, you have to follow these rules or else you're not in. But Jesus says, embrace me and through your love for me, you will ultimately end up following these rules. That's a very different uh, starting point. But Jesus says that the sheep hear his voice, that he calls out to them. And so these Pharisees are shouting one thing, but Jesus is saying something completely else. Okay? And so these people, uh, actually this is uh, playing off of the idea that back then as a shepherd, uh, apparently they would actually call out the sheep by name and the sheep would actually recognize their shepherd's voice. And so Jesus is, is claiming that role himself, and he's saying, they recognize my voice, I call them out individually by name, uh, and I call them and lead them to life, and away from the dangers that uh, people like the Pharisees are trying to lead them into. And there they find pasture, they find safety, security, uh, they get fed, they're taken care of in that way. And so Jesus, uh, as we see this, he has authority He has authority over our lives. This is Jesus, the Son of God, and he expects us to follow him. Uh, And I know that that can be hard at times, but all he asks us to do 
is to turn from our path and go on to his. And by the way, I think many people think that God, he tells us to live a certain way uh, just because he wants us to, and that like if we don't do that, he punishes us. Uh, and if we do follow him, that, that he blesses us for following him. Uh, and while I think it's true that sometimes God will ask you to do weird things simply to test your faith, uh, those occasions seem rare as I, as I look in scripture. And more importantly, while it is true that sometimes God will make something good happen in your life because of your faithfulness to him, I think more often than not, there's simply a natural goodness or a positive result uh, that comes from following him. So for example, my mom, who's here today actually, uh, I remember one day she told me, before I went canoeing, uh, Jordan, you should put on some sunscreen. And I thought, nah, whatever, it'll be fine, right? So I go out and I'm canoeing in this metal box for five hours in 95 degree weather, uh, you know, just having a blast. I was on a youth trip actually as a youth leader and uh, everything was fine. You know, I kind of get out at the end of it and I see my legs are pretty red and I was like, well, yeah, that's probably going to hurt a little bit, <clears throat> but you know, whatever. So we're setting up camp and uh, within a couple hours I start like shaking, like I can't stop shaking and uh, soon my legs can't stop shaking and it was getting extremely painful because it was like actually moving my muscles. So it was like my muscles were constantly exercising with no rest and I'm starting to like kind of freak out because I, I have no control over this and I can't stop it and you know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'm dehydrated, I'm, I'm trying to drink, and uh, it seems to be helping a little bit, but um, we ended up having to leave the, the youth trip. Youth leader ruined the whole trip. Uh, just kidding, it was raining, and so all those kids were complaining, and they were all like, yeah, yeah, I think we should go. Uh, he doesn't look right. I don't know, something's wrong. Uh, but I, so <laughs> I, didn't have, I didn't have health insurance at the time, so we're like, I can't go to the hospital, can't go to the hospital. Uh, so I forget exactly how I found out, but it came out that I actually got sun poisoning, which I did not know was a thing, but apparently you can get so much sun that it literally poisons your body. And so I am like, uh, <laughs> I just remember my life for the next two weeks. I couldn't move. I had second degree burns all over my legs. Uh, I remember I was just laying on my couch, could not move. Like it was awful. Uh, getting up to go to the bathroom was like a painful experience every single time. And, you know, all, so that happens, right? Now, if I had listened to my mom and I had actually put on sunscreen before I left, it's not like my mom was then making it so that the sun uh, wouldn't poison me, right? I, it just, it was a natural consequence of that, right? Uh, if I had just put on sunscreen, well, then the sun doesn't burn you, typically. So, uh, but, I, but I think that we often... I think we view following God in that way, that, oh, he's going to make my life good. And, and sometimes he does, absolutely. But I think more often than not, uh, there's just a general wisdom. Uh, and, and wisdom, as we see in Scripture, teaches us that uh, when you live righteously, it leads to a full life because you're avoiding stuff like getting sun poisoning for being a fool. Uh, or, you know, or if you relate well to others and, and you are forgiving, then people tend to be, uh, you know, they tend to relate well to you and they tend to forgive you. But this leads back to the authority of Jesus. Jesus' authority would be greatly diminished if what he had uh, to offer didn't bear fruit. 
right? Like if Jesus ever said, oh, if you do this, then this will happen, and then that thing didn't happen, you would start to question, okay, well, why did he say that? You know, does Jesus actually know what he's talking about? Is he lying to me? That sort of thing. But what Jesus says is true, and so we, we have this authority that we can trust in. Petro wakes up at uh, 5 a.m. usually, although today it was almost 7 o'clock. It was very nice. Uh, <clears throat> but she, she usually wakes up at 5 a.m., and suddenly, in those mornings when I get up with her, I question how strong I want boundaries to be. You know, how much TV time is really too much TV time? <laughs> you know? I mean, there are no definitive studies out there, right? And so you start bargaining a little bit, like, eh, is this okay while you're trying to wake up or, or do whatever? Um, but I know, too, that if I set a hard boundary for her and then don't follow through, that she will no longer trust what I say, right? She will start to know that either daddy doesn't know what he's talking about or daddy just says things and doesn't follow through. Uh, so we, you know, as parents, I think there is a struggle to, to make sure that you do still have your, your place of authority in their lives. Uh, and so with Jesus, uh, anytime he makes a claim, we can look to that and we can trust it. It happens. What he says is true. And when we look at verse 11, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, Jesus is not just this authoritarian figure, uh, this cosmic Santa Claus who's checking to see if you're on the naughty or nice list. For some of you, this is very good news that Jesus doesn't do that. God is not interested in telling people what to do, but rather to bring people into life. You see, when Jesus says, don't do that, he knows that you're down, headed down a path of destruction, that things are not going to go as well for you as they could. So when he calls us to follow him, he's calling us literally into life. This path will make your life full. That path will diminish it. And that's a very big difference. When Jesus says he is the good shepherd, he is saying that he desires to bring people into the fold, into the country club, unlike the Pharisees who are supposed to want the same thing. These people claim that, to know God and yet look absolutely nothing like him. They were pious and as Jesus teaches elsewhere in the Gospels, they're like a cup that gets the outside washed, but never the inside. Imagine drinking from that cup. These leaders looked like they were doing everything that a religious leader should do. They go out and they pray and they have all the right ceremonies and rituals uh, and they would sound godly. But in reality, they were missing the core of what it means to be a religious leader, to care for the people you are charged to serve and minister to. See, they were more obsessed with the fact that they were a religious leader than they were with the actual task of what it means to be a religious leader. Now, it's easy to beat up on the Pharisees, right? We look at that and we, we think, oh, well, I'm not like a Pharisee at all. But I think we always have to be careful to hold up a mirror and look closely. For the Pharisees were so certain that what they were doing was pleasing to God uh, that when God himself stared them in the flesh, in the face, that they didn't recognize him. And instead they sentenced him to death. And I think we have to judge carefully. For I find myself to be a Pharisee far more often than I want to admit. Jesus felt so strongly about his flock that he took the brokenness of the world upon himself. He left paradise 
Imagine, he left heaven to experience our warped world, to have his creation turn against him, to scorn and mock and beat and kill. All so that some might repent and seek life through him instead of seeking life through the ways of the world. Jesus shows his care as shepherd for his flock in this. As Romans says, he died while we were yet sinners. We had done nothing to earn that grace of Jesus coming to earth and dying for our sins. He died so that some might turn from their path, their way of doing things, and following him. And and, and saying to Jesus, I want to follow you. And that leads to our final thought of Jesus in this passage. Hallelujah, we're almost done. Hang in there. That Jesus guides his flock. He's not just watching over them. Okay, he's actually trying to lead them to the places that give them life, that give them uh, food and water. And so people turn to him because of his authority and care, which we've talked about. And so they then trust him to lead them through life, no matter what lies ahead. I remember in junior high, I was contemplating making, uh, I'll just say poor choices. Uh, my mom, by the way, has never heard this. And uh, so there's, uh, there's a fun little treat for you. Uh, <clears throat> but anyways, I, I won't share exactly what it was just because there are people my age, or that were my age then, and I don't want to plant the thought in their mind. Uh, but I had this poor decision in my sights, and I, I was going to church, I was in youth group, and uh, I had a great relationship with all my youth pastors that were there, and uh, you know, I was learning about Jesus' love for me and, and, and weighing all of that. But also I was weighing life in the world. I was, I was looking at these opportunities before me and thinking about uh, you know, the, the paths that I, could, that I could go. And really, I had already determined that Jesus' authority was real in my life and that he cared deeply for me. And so, like, no matter how badly I wanted to continue going down the path uh, that I was, I couldn't logically deny those two truths, that Jesus had authority in my life and that he cared for me. And so there came this point where, you know, I I identify so much with that passage uh, where Peter says, uh, after all these disciples turn away, and Jesus says, will you turn away also? And Peter says, where else would we go? Because to him, I, this was life. This was, it didn't matter how hard it was. It didn't matter what it meant for you. What mattered was that it was true and that he couldn't just leave that. Uh, and so basically, I asked myself that right before I repented and I myself came into the fold of Jesus. Jesus guides us to life. He embodies the wisdom that we talked about earlier. Again, wisdom, righteous living that gives us life. We walk on our own path, we hear our name called, and we have a decision to either keep walking or turn and start heading down this paved path that Jesus claims. God created you and therefore has authority over you, whether you like it or not. Sometimes I don't like that. We have gone astray, but God's love compelled him to seek after us. He sought us by becoming one of us, becoming a man, modeling for us what it means to live in a right relationship with God the Father before laying his life down for his flock. 
He defeated death and by doing so offered to us an opportunity to experience new life and to reverse the decay already present in our world. He promised to one day to return to sit on his throne as king, guiding his flock for all eternity as he restores the world together with us. For those of you who have not decided to turn from the road and to go to the road less traveled, I invite you to ponder what life might be like with this shepherd, with this good shepherd. For you saints who have already experienced the joy of this new life, and as we as a community learn what it means to follow Jesus, we are tasked with the responsibility of shepherding those who are still wandering, those who have gone astray. So we must mimic what we see in Jesus as shepherd and carry that forth into the world. We live in a dark world, but with scripture as our authority, with the love of Jesus in our hearts and the wisdom of God, we have a bright light to bring into the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship you. Uh, We thank you for this passage uh, in John chapter 10. Uh, We thank you for you revealing to us through scripture from Old Testament to New uh, what it means to be a shepherd and Father how you fill in that role. We ask for your blessing on our lives as we seek to faithfully be shepherds uh, to those who have gone astray. Father that uh, for those who do not know you uh, that we would be a voice uh, that that can lead them ultimately to you. We just ask that uh, for those who have not heard your voice yet, Lord, that uh, we would have opportunity to do so. Lord, may we uh, speak of you in such a way that is compelling. Uh, Lord, that, uh, that they would catch the aroma that you give off. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. We invite you to stand and join with us in this final praise song. <clears throat>
Señor. 